Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Know Why the Nick Caged Bird Sings. The podcast where we watch every Nicolas Cage movie in chronological order and then review them so that you don't have to. I'm your host. My name is Steve. Joining me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Hannah Martin. Hannah, how are you? Spooked. Spooked. It's a special Halloween episode of I Know Why the Nick Caged Bird Sings. Uh, We have a busy weekend coming up, so we have to do this during the day. So uh, that's why you might hear some construction and cars going by that's going on next door and outside. We usually do this pretty late at night to avoid that type of thing. Uh, Just some housekeeping things up at the top here. After work hours, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, So keep that in mind while we record this podcast here. So this week we watched... (laughs) The night before Halloween, Mischief Night, we were very mischievous, and we watched the one and only Vampire's Kiss. We did it. We done we did, did it. it. We did it. And the brief bio of Vampire's Kiss is after, it's something along the lines of like, after a man has an encounter with a neckbiter, he feels as though he's becoming a vampire. I felt like I was becoming a vampire after watching this movie. Well, I felt a lot of things during this movie, and that's for sure. And we'll get into that momentarily. Uh, let's start off. I'm not sure if you have it up there, Han, but we can pause for a second. Let's start off with some of the ratings. Where does this, where does this movie fall in terms of ratings? Excuse me. You think I'm not prepared for this? <laughs> anyway, so we've got a six out of 10 for IMDb. Okay. Middle six, of the pack. 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty low, but I don't think it's the lowest that we've seen. Metacritic score is 31. That is the lowest that we've seen. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> not every but not every movie has had a metacritic score that's something weird that's on imdb but i find it to so be fairly it didn't reliable do well in the box office and people initially didn't get it but it's kind of developed a bit of a cult following it is definitely a cult type of movie so i think uh, that constitutes the difference in scores like the metacritic sense. it's like critics are like this movie is shit <laughs> and should you know garbage people like us are like wow Right, right. (laughs) So let's just take a moment right here to pause and say that this is probably the first movie that if I were a listener of this podcast, I wouldn't want spoiled. So I would say, I I would probably say right at the top, I would recommend watching this movie. Uh, Pause now. Pause now. Go watch Vampire's Kiss. It's not easy to find, I'll be honest, but we found it. So if we can find it, so can you. And, and go watch it. Or if you've seen it before, hopefully we bring up some great memories. <laughs> or if you don't want to watch it, that's fine. watch it again. Yeah. 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 Great. All right. So uh, the year is 1988, I believe. So, uh, yeah. Han, what kind of uh, behind the scenes stories or things do you have for us this week? So Nicolas Cage is coming fresh off of Moonstruck, which yeah. is the movie we reviewed last week. Which um, he was like barely in kind of and his performance was fine right that's that's where we ended it yeah it was middle of the pack i think we rated it yeah he did some cagey stuff he did scream things that didn't need to be oh yeah yeah see i'm in such a halloween mode i thought you meant that he was in the movie scream and i'm like (laughs) no and also we're not even there yet no like what years scream like 2004 yeah so you know hot off of being in a blockbuster like moonstruck which, as we discussed last week, was not his favorite movie to be in just because he felt that he was too punk rock for it. Yes, that is what he said. Yep. His words, not mine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, first time he's seen as a bit of like a sex symbol. He's in a movie with Cher, who's super hot at this time. So big deal for big deal for Nick, big deal for Nick's management and Nick's agents. Oh, so Nick He's coming off of the success, critical and commercial success of Moonstruck, and he's getting a lot of outside pressure from his agents to pick something with like a lot of prestige to elevate his career. Mm. Like take so, a risk, maybe? Yeah. N- no. Oh. <laughs> no oh, his, no risk. His agents want him to pick something <laughs> His agents want him to pick something as safe as Moonstruck. Gotcha. So Nick Cage meets with the director of Vampire's Kiss, um... Let me look up his name because he comes up a lot. Robert Bierman. Bierman. Robert Bierman. Uh, so they met. They got along very well. But then Nick Cage, only a week later after meeting, decided to drop out of the movie because his agent pressured him, said, 
look, Nick, like this isn't a good career move for you. Mm -hmm. After this movie, you should be in something of similar caliber, if not higher. Like you've created this persona for yourself. Let's let's build on that. Like National Treasure. Precisely. (laughs) But Nick Cage in in the way that he does Uh thinks that he knows better than everybody else all the time thinks he's the best in everything all all the time. time. Um, so he decided that he would call the director back and ask if he can have him back in the movie. And here we are. Great. He did the movie. Great. (laughs) Unsurprisingly as well, he didn't get along with a lot of people in the movie. So there's in 1999, he put out a commentary and he rarely did any press for any of these movies. But in 99, he put out this commentary, which I listened to with, um, the director Bierman. So it's not a full commentary of the movie. It is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I listened to an abridged version because oh, okay, I didn't okay, gotcha. feel like watching, watching the, movie the whole movie all over again. again. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe that was the version. I don't know. Whatever I could sure. find on YouTube, it was like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, put out a commentary where they talk about the different scenes and talk about things that were happening behind the scenes, which was really cool because, like I said, Nick didn't do press. He was afraid of doing press. Mm. So mm, 10, 11 years later after this movie was released, I guess once it became a bit of a cult, classic gotcha okay is when he maybe they got pressure from the film community or fans or something like that to to do this so uh, most of the uh most of the stuff that i'm going to talk about today is from that interview okay let's see i'll start it with this a few quotes from the interview great specifically from the director oh boy we'll save some of nick's stuff for later and you know since this interview is a scene by scene commentary as we go scene by scene I will insert whatever Nicholas or or Robert felt was going on at that time. <laughs> yeah, I over I overheard you say a few of them, and there's some pretty interesting behind the scenes stories. Yes. So, Bierman says these two things, which I think will set the scene very well. Okay. He said first, when we made this film, it was complete chaos from beginning to end. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and second, no one really understands what this movie is about. And with that, let's get into it. Okay, that's that's an interesting point that he said because I feel like more than some of other Nicolas Cage movies, this actually has a fairly linear plot, I think. Are you joking? I actually know. <laughs> I feel Do like... we know why or how or if it even did happen? No, but that's kind of what's interesting about it. Think of all the movies that have come out since this movie. So, again, spoiler alert, but we'll skip to the end real quick just to have this conversation. But at the end of the movie... Right, our assumption at this point is that you've seen the movie or you don't care about it being spoiled. Exactly. So at the end of the movie, it's we find out that it's all in his head and he's gone crazy, basically. And that vampires aren't real, but in maybe the first quarter of the first half of the movie... Do we really find that out? Yeah, because remember when he bumps into the wall at the end and he's talking to the wall? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he runs into the real vamp- the real woman that the vampire is based off of. We might cut this whole thing out because I feel like bad spoiling the whole thing. We should just go through the whole thing. But we'll see. We'll see. We might leave it in. Okay. Well, going back to what you were saying, though, you know, movies after this probably weren't so explicit in telling you exactly what happens. That you It lets you kind of figure it out for yourself. And this maybe set the bar for that but for the time when the you know filmmaking was i mean not new but obviously but you know it's yeah. the 80s there there had probably up to this point been very few movies that were like psychological type dramas fair i would imagine so not that this is the first one or no. the best one by any means but or the best one <laughs> with the with the movies that we've seen since this movie you know we get we get it at least I get it. Uh, I understand that at the time and maybe during the making of the movie that nobody had any idea what the plot was. Uh, that I could see that for sure. But mm-hmm. I, I think it, I think it makes sense. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's it's a plot. I get it. I can outline and I'm about to. Ready? Go for it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's So let's go through uh, Nick Cage scene by Nick Cage scene. And he's in pretty much every scene. So we're just going to basically go through the plot. Beat and by beat. we will not do any of the screams or dialogue no. justice. So we will, we will be happy few. to edit some in Absolutely. for your enjoyment. I would say that ultimately there's probably four or five really iconic, great screams. He screams in almost every scene, but like four or five of them are just outstanding. 
outstanding. They are just some of the best screams, and they might go down as one of the best screams in all of Nick Cage's... Uh, anthology. Anthology, thank you. So let's get started. So we start this movie, and Nick Cage, he's all dressed up. He's wearing a suit. He's got some slick back hair, and he's in his therapist's office. He's <laughs> So there's really not much to this opening scene, but Hannah did mention right off the bat that it's filmed a lot like a soap opera. I don't know exactly how to define that, but it's kind of one of those things that you know it when, when you see it. Maybe it's like long dramatic pauses is kind of what makes it seem like a soap opera. I wouldn't opera. say the dialogue was soap opera-y. I just thought that the visual aspect of how the camera was moving reminded yeah. me of a soap opera. And then maybe like some of the music in the background. Yeah, and maybe the expressions of the therapist a bit too. Because, Rachel Dratch? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> the therapist looked like a uh, like a poor man's Rachel Dratch. I feel like in every movie we're always compared. Like, <laughs> like Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's not much to that first scene. So the next scene is we see Nick Cage and he's at a club. And this is the most 80s club you've ever seen. It's people in bright colors bopping around indiscriminately just with this massive hair and weird mustaches dancing to techno music. And, great. and he's sitting at the bar with, with a girl who we later find out is maybe somewhat of his girlfriend, a girl he's been seeing pretty regularly. And so they kind of nod to each other, let's get out of here. And they're walking home and they're very drunk. And uh, they get out of the cab, or they get out of the cab and they're walking home, and he yells to the cab. So again, he yells in every scene. He goes, be off! And he yells away to the cab. And so there's this little boy watching them from the stairs as they get into the apartment. Yeah. Which nothing never, ever comes Nothing ever comes of that. From that. So him and It this reminds me of in Racing with the Moon. There were those children mm. that he, like, stared at. Wow, I don't even remember that. On like the train tracks. And oh, then they never right came in the back beginning. up. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There is always that that's a theme in these movies that we've just picked up he on. Just, that there's children there's children like <laughs> staring at him, wondering what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> At one point, he gets asked, maybe they haven't been seeing each other for that long, because he gets asked, what do you do? And he says, literature. So, he <laughs> turns out he's... We haven't heard him talk. Well, and we don't really hear him talk until the next scene, so I'll get to that in a bit. But, uh, so we find out later that he's, like, a higher-up executive for, like, a publishing... A literary firm, agent, a Literary right? agency, or, mm-hmm. or, yeah, publishing firm, or something along those lines. In New York. This takes place in yes. New York. I don't know if we've said that already. I don't think we have. So, yeah, it is in, it is in New York in, in the late 80s. So him and this girl, they're getting hot and heavy. They are, clothes are coming off, they're drunk, and it's, you know, they're having fun. And then right as they're about to kind of do the nasty, the window happens to be cracked and a bat flies in. So Han is nodding and pointing at her computer. And I know that there are stories about this bat. So what have you got? There are stories about this bat. So um, the arrival of the bat in Peter, his character's name is Peter. Yes. But who cares? We're no, just going to call him Nick, Nick anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the homeboy Nick. So the arrival of the bat in, in Nick's apartment triggers uh, one of the first altercations that he got in with the director. It was really important to Nick that the bat was a real bat. He did not want a remote control bat. And he kind of went off his rocker a little bit, is what he said. Yeah. So I overheard that clip or, or when you were watching the video, I overheard that bit that he... He admitted to being off his rocker a little bit, which is interesting. But I would love to, you know, like he says a little bit. I would love to know how <laughs> that equates back to what actually happened. Or to like, what what is... What is a little bit for Nick? Right. How does that compare to a regular person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a spectrum. Um, yes. So the reason that he says at that time was that he was still very much a method actor. <laughs> well what we know about him method acting is that when he doesn't have to he just sleeps in his car yeah that's his method acting or shaving his chest which was like the most traumatic experience of him to date so the artificial bat that they crafted was crafted by a sim like the same effects guy who worked on star wars so it's like a reputable source who you know probably very professional created this artificial bat but Nick still wasn't going to have any of it. So he made his assistant go out to Central Park to catch a real live bat. Did his assistant catch the bat? The stalemate came to an end when Beerman convinced Nicolas Cage that if he was bitten by a real bat, he would probably die. And Nick Cage was like, fine, we'll use the fake bat. And I wouldn't say the bat looked bad by any means. No, no, I don't think so I think, at all. I didn't think it was like 
I mean, I knew it was fake, but yeah. I didn't think it was blaringly obvious. It didn't distract me from the scene. It was fine. And it, and because it's a bat, the nature of it is that it moves quickly. So the camera doesn't have to be on it for very exactly. long. Exactly. So, yeah, I think it's fine. How would they have trained a real bat to be exactly where, you know, yeah. especially like a bat that you just like, you know, a Central Park bat. <laughs> yeah, it's a like New a York city bat. bat. Yeah, it's a city bat. <laughs> it's a dirty city bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that's the bat story. <laughs> that's fantastic. So yeah, he ultimately gets the bat out of the apartment, but in the process, the girl leaves the apartment and she's still like topless and kind of covering herself up. Uh, and the kid is staring at her from the stairs again. Again, the kid comes from nowhere and never comes back. And so they uh, end up leaving and going to her place. So the next morning he's at his work office and here is where we really hear him speak for the first time. And let me just preface with what you're about to say with how we interpreted it to begin with. I wrote down, oh fuck, he's British. I thought he was British or doing a British type of accent. But Han, what was, and this is another clip that I overheard you listening to. So what is he actually trying to do? So in uh, in this interview, he also says that normally he doesn't like to let these types of secrets out. Oh, what a secret. <laughs> Even though in every movie so far that he's done an accent, we know his inspiration for it. Right. So yeah. someone is clearly blowing up his secrets. Yes. <laughs> okay, so he said that he is speaking as a nod to his father, who yep. chose to speak at some point in his life with a matter of distinction. It used to be this very consonantal sound. And he felt that it was very appropriate for a literary agent in New York City. The producers approached him after viewing this movie and approached the director saying, like, what the hell <laughs> is he doing? And the director was like, no, just let him let him work his magic. Let him work his art. Right, he knows right. what he's doing. So, like, this director's feeding into Nick's bullshit. Absolutely. But I think the voice... So the theory that we came up with while watching this movie was that whenever he tries to do a voice, his acting suffers because he's spending too much energy trying to to come up with a voice. That's just the theory that we've come up with. But later, we'll talk about what the voice actually sounds like and maybe some explanation for But after listening to him sounds. talk about it, our theory doesn't add up. No. Well, our theory does add up because no, he, like the real, like the theory that we'll talk about oh, later oh, as to yeah, why yeah, we yeah. think he's I've, doing that voice. Well, yeah, there's he kind may of, have forgotten. Right, that's he true. did a lot of drugs at this point in time. He probably did, <laughs> almost definitely. So we're barely a few minutes into this movie, so let's keep going. <laughs> we're many minutes into this podcast, but but we're yeah, many minutes into the podcast, but we're many uh, parts of the article through. I hope. <laughs> Uh, so let's see, where were we? So yeah, he's at his work office and he's kind of just looking at people weird and we notice that he's just a weird guy. His character's a weird guy. Well, he is also a weird guy. So he goes back to his apartment. He shakes out the curtains to look for the bat again, I guess. And there's really nothing to the scene. So he goes back to the therapist's office with the poor man's Rachel Dratch. And again, he's talking. How many times a week do you think he sees his therapist? At least once a week. I think it is uh, mentioned later in the movie. He sees the therapist once a week. So again, he starts, he starts talking and he says the word and I'm going to try to do an impression, but he goes, he was talking about his night with the woman and, the, and how the bat came in and he goes, it was really hot, you know? And <laughs> so I thought it sounded a lot like Stewie Griffin at the yeah, time we were, we were like, it's a very Stewie Griffin. It's like not quite British, but it's almost British. Uh, but it is what he said, kind of trying to speak with distinction. But on the O's a lot, it would be like, you know. Oh, it was really hot, you know. <laughs> so, and then it's almost like he was on his way out of the therapist's office, and he goes, oh, and one more thing. A bat came in, and I was kind of turned on by it. <laughs> and she's like, let's unpack this. Were you, were you turned on because you were having sex with the woman, and then you saw the bat? Or were you settled down, and then the bat came, and then you were turned on? And he's like, oh, the latter. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they just kind of brush that off and he leaves in the scene cuts and he's back at work he's back at the office and we find out that he he makes his assistant uh alva a-l-v-a um but with the v's and b's and she's hispanic so yeah. with, like they b is in victor b is in boy right so they sound kind of similar in spanish uh, uh languages so it sounds a lot like he's saying alba but uh so let's see so 
she he makes him look for these files that are impossible to find. So he, he said, makes her look for the files. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got that backwards. Yeah, so he makes her look for these files that are impossible to find. So that's kind of one of the driving plots of this movie, as we'll discover. And he again screams. I forget why, but he screams, "Told you!" in his Stewie Griffin voice. Not one of the iconic screams. We'll keep moving. So now he goes back to his apartment. He's getting ready for the night out for another night out. And he goes to a bar, and it's a much more regular bar. It's not very 80s. And he sees this attractive woman sitting at a uh, table by herself, and it's different from the original woman in the movie. And he goes over and introduces himself, and she says, Hi, I'm Rachel. So they go back to his apartment, and they're getting hot and heavy. It's getting aggressive. And she kind of pins him down and... What does she have but vampire teeth? She smiles and pulls out these big, like, these vampires. Yeah, fangs are like, she's got these big fangs. So she starts sucking on his neck and, and presumably drinking his blood. And he kind of barely, re- well, he doesn't barely react, but he doesn't, like, scream in pain. No, he, he's like, fidgets, it. and then he begins to really enjoy it. Yeah, like, he's kind of moaning and groaning about how much he enjoys it. Yeah, I was going to say something that Hannah said, but it's a little dirty. So, <laughs> so it's the next morning, and he's shaving his face, and he's getting ready for the morning, and he goes into his kitchen, and he makes two coffees. So we're like, oh, Rachel stayed the night. And he's whistling this tune, and he comes back into his bedroom, and he's holding out a coffee over his bed. And his hand's shaking a little bit, the coffee's shaking, and it cuts away. So we don't know whether she left or she's invisible because she's a vampire and she transformed into a bat or something. Or she's not real. Well, yeah, yeah, that's also a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) Especially because we probably spoiled spoiled it in the beginning of this podcast. But yeah, so... The next scene, he goes. He was getting ready, I guess, in the morning to go meet up with the first girl. And I don't even remember the first girl's name. It's not important. But at an art gallery. And he goes, I have to take a piss. And he just leaves. He just dips. And so he goes back to his apartment. And he gets a voicemail from the girl, the first girl. And she's like, I can't believe you left me. And he says quietly under his breath, he's like, yeah, well, fuck you too, sister. Oh, he said that's his favorite line from the movie. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. It was a great line. I'm glad I wrote it down. Of all the lines in the movie, that's his there's favorite line. There's some really though. great lines. There's some, there's some amazing, there's amazing lines in this line. movie. <laughs> yeah. So next we see him. He's he's back in therapy. And, and I think he's talking about how he slept with this other woman. And he goes, I was a little drunk. And I was horny. <laughs> I was a little drunk, plus I was horny. So I, I get, and then I don't think he brings up the fact that he thought she was a vampire Mm-mm. to the to the therapist. Not at yet. least not yet. Yeah. So he goes back to work. Uh, it's this kind of regular routine for him, but each scene gets a little bit more and more <laughs> crazy. And so chaotic. He, and as, chaotic. As the director said. Yeah. So he goes back to work and he's talking to Alva and he gets really pissed at Alva that Alva hasn't found the files. And he goes, it's fucking Tuesday. And at this point, he's just being a dick to Alva. And we're like, come on, man. But he's getting really pissed. And this is the first of the iconic screams in this movie. And he's screaming at Alva. He's screaming at Alva. And he does this big dramatic point at her. And he goes. And ducks and like drops his head to like. Yes. Like 45 degrees. Yeah, he drops his head and like looks away and he goes, Am I getting through to you, Alva? <laughs> and, All right. And Hannah and I just go, Acting. <laughs> so, what do you got? His inspiration for, Am I getting through to you, Alva? That's right. There's a pause before the Alva. Yes, very good. <laughs> Was inspired by his high school acting teacher. Oh, of course, because it is like a high school acting. Who one day was putting down young Nicholas a little bit too much. Aw. At the time, I was something of a hothead. At At the the time. time. (laughs) Okay. I got up and left, and he looked at me and went, Coppola. And he put his head back like that and said, you're not big or bad enough to pull that crap with me. So I guess he, like, cocked his head to the side and looked away from him and had the same intonation. Yeah. And that's his inspiration for that iconic Mm. line. Hmm. So as he's leaving the office, that was a great story, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I have plenty, <laughs> plenty more to come. Fantastic. So as he's leaving the office, he does something which is probably not going to be the most nouveau shamanic, but it's pretty nouveau shamanic. And he kind of like 
bites the air. I don't really know how to describe it. Do you remember him doing this? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. He's like doing this bite, but he's not putting his teeth all the way down. So it's kind of like, like he has like a stress ball in his mouth. Yeah, and he's like biting it. And he's biting the stress I, balls. You've probably done like people do this motion, but he does it a lot. So he does that at the end of this scene. He then makes his way to a diner and he screams indiscriminately and he does the biting thing again. <laughs> a kind of throwaway scene. And he's on his way back to his apartment building and he goes into his apartment, but for some reason there are two mimes fighting each other in the front <laughs> of his apartment. Don't know why they're there. Don't and it's know what funny that because adds. in this commentary they kept talking about how low budget this was and like Nick's brother was an extra just oh, to really? get someone to like walk across the screen because they didn't have enough people, but like... They could get two mimes. <laughs> Maybe one of them was his brother. I don't know. They were they mimes. They said that the movie was all non-union. So the union uh, like protested the movie. So I wonder if... That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Non-union. Wow. So, well, you can kind of I mean, tell. Yeah. So like they were like, all right, here's some non-union mimes we can throw out there. <laughs> <laughs> we want something crazy going out in front of the building. Or it was like, scene. we need some extras. And then all the extras were in the union. And then they came across these homeless mimes. And they were like, hey, we'll be in your movie. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple of mimes trying to break into the industry. Right. <laughs> hey, it worked. We're talking about them on this uh, award-winning podcast. Award-winning we podcast. We gave International ourselves... listeners. Oh, yeah. I, I wonder if they're going to keep listening because we had two. Shout um, out to you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I do have like a friend or two who's British, so maybe it's maybe it's them. She's like a British IP address. Maybe a cell phone or something. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so he's back in his apartment building, and he calls up the first girl, and he apologizes. He gets another date with her, and he's getting ready to go on a date with this first girl. And there's a knock at the door, and he gets really nervous. And he starts doing this head twitch, and he starts nodding really nervously at the door. And then he kind of turns... It's just such weird acting choices. Yeah, he, and he turns around, and Rachel's there. And she's like, I bet you're wondering how I got in. So Rachel kind of grabs him by the hand, and they slowly oh. walk upstairs. You yeah. have to invite a vampire in. Right, so it's probably something along those lines. And that comes up a few times throughout the movie. There's about, a few, like, nods mm-hmm. to vampires. like traditional, yeah. va- like, you know, you see a cross and you crumble and yeah, the light hurts your eyes. Yeah, they don't do anything with garlic. Uh, yeah, there's no garlic. There, be, I think that would be kind of corny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I, within this movie, there are, like, wooden stakes and crosses. He also, and, like, never eats. Yeah, he does. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but, so he and Rachel start having their vampire sex again. It's not again. It's not real sex. Vampire it's not real sex. sex. They're just he, she's just biting his neck, and he seems to be enjoying it. So he's back at work, and again he's screaming at Alba or Alva. He's like Alva, Alva, and so she's not really responding, and she's terrified of, of him. Of course, who wouldn't be? So he comes out, he bursts out of his office, and he comes over and he jumps up on her under a desk. And it was a really athletic jump. Incredible. Yeah. And he jumps and he just one jump, bang. Not like he stepped up. He jumped up onto the desk. And then he starts chasing her. And he chases her into the women's room. And she's like, don't hurt me. Don't rape me. I have a gun. And that's going to come into play later. Uh, but he is... He's like, there you are. Like Again, he screams, but he's like, I'm not going to hurt you. And then the scene kind of fizzles out. We then find him in a boardroom. This was so weird. Yeah, I don't know why. And He's in a boardroom with like five other dudes. And they're like, <laughs> I can't believe you chased her into the women's room. And he's like, yeah, you should have heard her scream. <laughs> Do you think she really has a gun? And it's like four kind of douchey business guys talking about how Nick Cage almost Literary just raped this agents. woman. Yeah. <laughs> book nerds <laughs> yeah exactly they're book nerds i don't know why they think this is so funny but yeah so we again go to his apartment and he when he walks into his apartment maybe he slipped under the door in his mailbox there's a letter from the first girl because he stood her up at the date so she wrote on a cocktail napkin like we're through or something along those lines it's like don't ever see me again something yeah like that. something like that and he's reading the note and he's got this really red constipated look on his face <laughs> like it like this note ruined him when he's been spending all of his nights with he's this like other clenching everything that he has right <laughs> yeah oh he definitely is so then it makes him so mad or something that he starts throwing things around his apartment he's throwing furniture he's ruining the apartment and he screams what's happening to me what 
So the scene where uh, <laughs> Nick Cage goes nuts and destroys his apartment grew more elaborate and violent than originally planned. Wow. As Nick Cage broke nearly everything in there. Yeah. Well, he does it twice. Yeah. Yeah. So this so is the, it, it might be the second time. This is the first time, but he really destroyed a lot. Like he was really throwing furniture this first time. So none of the items were props. Oh, so he just broke. So shit. he just broke everything, so they couldn't <laughs> refilm it. Oh, so it, that's the first take, and like that's yeah, what they get. The only take, that's what they get. But wow. you know what? He's like, I'm, I'm a one and done kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I don't need two takes. He, I get it right the first he time. He is very much a man who's confident in his lack of ability. I hate him so much. <laughs> so he, um, he used to rehearse in his hotel room. Okay. And he tore up the hotel room, and he had his cat. The one that he feels like is a brother to him oh, living his in his hotel room during the production. Uh-huh. And because his cat was living in there and because the state of the hotel room was so bad and he <laughs> needed it because he's a method actor and he wanted to live in the same space that he's filming in, he yeah. refused maid service. So over the course of him <sighs> filming this movie, can you imagine how horrible, first of all, the room smelled because his cat. stupid drug ad, like <laughs> drugged out cat is living in there. <laughs> And then what a mess the place was. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? That is very punk rock to destroy a hotel room. So annoying. (laughs) So annoying. Yeah. So speaking of annoying, the next scene is the second most iconic, like the second chronologically most iconic scream in the movie. He's back at the therapist's office and he's talking about how pissed off (laughs) he is. (laughs) (laughs) He's, He's talking about how pissed off he is at Alba. Alva. And the therapist goes, well, listen, like, sometimes files get lost. You know, maybe somebody misfiled it. And he doesn't understand how somebody can misfile something. So he starts screaming the alphabet. Now, again, we're not going to do it justice. We'll probably insert it here. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, U, R, S, T, U, V, do you have And he does that. I guess it's nouveau shamanic. I think we've described it in a previous episode. When he does big screams like this, he throws his arms up and down in almost like a fluid motion, but with hard, like a fluid motion up and a hard stop at the at the end. And he puts the back of his one hand into the palm of his other to make that slapping noise. And he does this kind of wave. He does that a lot when he screams. And he's doing that while he screams the alphabet. And it's Brilliant. He's like, put the files in alphabetical order, starting with A, B, and then he just goes on. And he does the whole alphabet, whole alphabet. A to Z. We sat there <laughs> for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. It's great. It's fantastic. And then after that, he screams another great scream. It's not iconic because it's preceded by a great iconic scream. But he screams, I never misfiled anything. Not once, not one time. And he throws his like arms out on his hips and his coat kind of flies <laughs> behind him. And he starts like stamping his foot like a, like a child. He looks like a child. And the therapist is just like, I don't know what to do with this guy. <laughs> but that is a fantastic scene. He's like, scene. we don't got drugs for this. <laughs> <laughs> so the next scene, he is... Uh, He's at work, and he shows up, and he's wearing sunglasses indoors. He's got a cigarette hanging in his mouth. Uh Uh-oh, what do you got for me? Oh, keep going. All right. So he's still being an absolute dick to Alva. And, okay, that I didn't realize which scene this was, but I know what this scene is now. So when you Google image search Nicolas Cage, Mm -hmm. it's probably like the fourth or fifth picture in is this creepy picture of him where his head is kind of cocked forward he's got this creepy smile he's got this huge unibrow and his eyes are wide so just google nicholas cage and you'll see the picture you know what i'm talking about it's a very similar smile to actually what we have in our thumbnail for our um for our podcast it's not the same picture but it's similar smile um so nick cage has been quoted as saying that his entire motivation for this character Mm -hmm. in any scene Mm -hmm. is just to see how big he can make his eyes oh wow (laughs) yeah well and so i don't know if you were going to mention it later or something but he did say that in an interview with kevin smith uh the director not the director of this movie but a different director he said that he um he grew up watching silent films particularly uh films like the old vampire films like nosferatu so he's very inspired by nosferatu uh, Nosferatu. In fact, Nosferatu comes up in the next scene, which we'll discuss in a second. Yeah, but. and you know what? Like to Nick's credit, he has this ability here to take a movie that could seemingly be a tragedy 
Yeah. And make it kind of comedic. Yeah, yeah. And he also said in that same interview with Kevin Smith, he said, you know, this movie was the first time he got to combine both of the things he loves, which is uh, comedy and horror. So he thought he feels like they're two sides of the same coin. And that kind of made us breathe a sigh, a sigh of relief. Like, oh, okay. He meant to he be a little funny. He knows that he's being like this. Like, he knows it's weird. He knows it's weird. Yeah. Okay. So that's actually this pretty is good. His, uh, he has said many times, even in recent history, mm-hmm. that this is his favorite part, if not one of the most favorite parts that he's ever played. Oh, like in a, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this was, like I said, <laughs> this I is so iconic. Yeah. This is really iconic. You're absolutely right. That's a good word for it. So this is the K- this is KG. This is very KG. We'll rank this later, but I know where it's going to rank. <laughs> so so he's walking home from work and he he's got a bag of groceries. He's looking a little worse for wear and he walks past a church that's got a neon crucifix and he collapses. And somebody tries to help him up, some good Samaritan or something coming out of the church and he just leaves all the groceries behind because he can't stand the sight of a, a crucifix. So He gets back into his apartment and Rachel's there again and they're going at it again. And she is kind of like forcing him. This is like the first time that he's not really as into it as she is. And she forces him to say, I love you to him or to her. And then we see her again uh, because, as I just mentioned, he's watching in the movie. He's watching an old Nosferatu movie, an old vampire movie. Then it's the next morning. And once again, so he he's about to get in the shower and he's in the shower and then he we hear him go what you want to come in with me come on in and he opens and closes the curtain as if to let somebody in but she's invisible so at this point we're like okay she's either invisible or all in his head and he gets out of the shower and he hisses at himself in the mirror which Mm, i wrote down but i don't really remember i remember that then he walks into his kitchen and what does he see in his kitchen but a cockroach walking on a stove and Han, I think you have a story for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so originally, the director wanted the character to eat a raw egg. Oh, no. But Nick Cage knows better than everyone. Duh. So he suggested that he would eat a cockroach instead because he wanted to shock the audience. Yeah. He said he saw it as a business decision because when people see the cockroach going to my mouth... People really react. And rather than spending a lot of money on special effects, all he has to do is eat a bug. So it's a good business decision for the movie, for the filmmakers to get something shocking. And it's also a good business business decision for him because then he is known as someone who can do shocking things, I suppose. And people will be talking about it, which is true. And people talk about this a lot yeah whenever you i mean i didn't do a lot of research prior to this i didn't even know that much about nicholas cage before we started this podcast oh yeah like in every single thing i i've done a lot of research for these for these episodes just because i'm looking at all these articles and watching all these interviews and stuff and like the cockroach always comes up yeah so i also it might have been the kevin smith thing that i was just referencing but he he mentioned he goes you know listen fear factor and all that crap is that didn't exist in 1988 yeah people weren't on screen eating bugs uh which is like a much more reasonable approach than to say it's a business decision just let me eat a bug (laughs) see this was in 99 so he's changed his story yeah because fear factor came out after this kevin smith thing but fear factor wasn't out in 99 so in 99 11 years after this movie was filmed right but then, he's just saying that it's not really a big deal because, well, now people do it all the time. People eat bugs all the time. And that's just... Exactly. That's but what I'm he saying he's then. changed his story well, yeah. over the years. Well, yeah. But he changed... <laughs> he updated his story to include <laughs> Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is pretty... Uh, an director made scene. him do a second scene. Oh, yeah. He had to do two takes. He had to do two takes. Yeah. I mean, he said it was the worst thing he's ever done. But it was his yeah. choice. So Yeah. But honestly, though, I think a cockroach would have been better than a, a raw egg. For, for the purposes of the movie, I think it is more interesting for the movie itself. Do you agree? Yeah, it's disgusting. Okay. But... Well, yeah. I mean, you were just nodding. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is an audio oh, medium. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I forget. No, it's okay. Uh, yeah, so let's see here. Where were we? Uh, next scene, he is back at work. 
and he's whistling the same tune that he was whistling when he was making coffee, and he's looking in a Rolodex because Alva didn't show up to work today. So he's looking in a Rolodex, and he looks up Alva's address. So in between, we kind of see Alva at home by herself without Nick, and and she's like, I can't go back to work. My boss is creeping me out. He's the worst. And her mom's like, you have to work because... You gotta make money, and this is what you do. Exactly. You just deal with it. Yeah, exactly. She's like, I hate my boss. Everybody hates their boss, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) This is the day after she got chased around, in in case you forgot. Yeah, She got chased into the bathroom. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So he we see him in a taxi and he goes into the like i said he goes into the rolodex he, he finds alva's address and he goes into a taxi and rolls up to alva's house and alva listen she, i don't know why she's doing this but she is in a bra and pants ironing her shirt in broad daylight next to an open window now look i know that it's weird that Nick Cage then shows up and taps on the window. But it's also kind of weird, like, draw the curtains if you're going to be ironing half-naked, right? Yeah, also, like, why are you ironing if you're not going to work? What do you need to iron? Oh, I guess she's just doing laundry because I forget sometimes that people iron it proactively. Some people do their laundry hat. (laughs) No, 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 I don't mean that. (laughs) I mean, You should see the mountain of laundry that she has in the next room. Oh, my God. You know what? We were friends. <laughs> I'm done. This is my last podcast. Oh, no. Nice knowing you. <laughs> so he shows up to Alva's house and he goes, listen, I heard you were sick. I brought you some soup, which is in powdered form for some reason. <laughs> he's like, I just want a truce. And he's being a little weird and he's standing outside the door because, again, a vampire can't come in unless he's invited in. So, but is he a vampire? <laughs> I, well, no, but... <laughs> So she's like, all right, I'm sorry, you know, and he's like, look, I overreacted. I came to apologize. He's being actually fairly normal. Uh, So they get into the taxi and she goes and gets changed, gets into the taxi and they're sitting in the taxi and he's just like, you know, we need to find that contract. And she's like, I thought we were having a truce. And he screams, that goddamn contract is somewhere in those goddamn fucking files. And he immediately vomits. (laughs) after that so she was right. like well the day before or no at at her house mm-hmm. he said don't worry about it yeah you know the client doesn't care that much right we can take our time right. and then lures her into the mm-hmm. taxi where then he right. is like no that's what you're doing today mm-hmm. and you're gonna stay here until it gets dark and you're gonna stay here until you find that contract and yeah. then she opposes and that's when he starts screaming at her so she says on she's the like, way pull over yeah so she says on the way she's like hey my brother works at this at this mechanic or this shop here i need to get give him something or get something so they pull over and nick cage starts talking to the cab driver and and the cab driver's like ah love he's like, he points to a picture of him and his wife of course he has a picture of his wife in his cab well, well yeah i mean that's nice of he and his wife Right, of the cab driver and his and the cab driver's wife. Yeah. And and so he's like, ah, oh, love, this is my wife. This is what keeps me going every day. Meanwhile, Alva's in the mechanic, like, talking to her brother, getting bullets for her gun. And the brother's like, listen, I don't have any real bullets. Here's some blanks. Here's some blanks. You know, this, is, this gun was supposed to be just for intimidation, not to actually hurt anybody. So uh, at one point, while Nick's in the taxi, he drops the C word inexplicably. <laughs> Yeah. They, um, in the commentary, they talk about that and they're oh, like, really? oh, wow, that wouldn't fly today, even in 99. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So they, maybe it was a, a time thing. Not that it's okay to say, it, but, you know, it was different back then, I guess. So they're back at work and Alva sits down and he walks behind her and yanks her ponytail and he goes into the Poor bathroom girl. and he freaks out because he can't see his reflection. He goes back into his office and Rachel's there. So Rachel starts sucking on his neck and like under his desk or something in his office. And finally, it's late at night. The cleaners are there. And Alva, ah, oh, she's so relieved. She finds the contract. She finds the file. Thank goodness. And she goes and knocks on the door. And, you know, Rachel's in there. So Nick's all like, oh, my God. I, you know, he's got to put himself together. And he Puts gets a band. So he'll, I, oh, I yeah, forgot yeah, yeah. to say, yeah. So every day he has a Band-Aid over his neck because that's where the mm-hmm. vampire teeth bites are. Mm-hmm. So... We don't yeah. actually know what's under the Band-Aid because he always has a Band-Aid there. Right, So right. he puts his Band-Aid back on as to cover the vampire teeth so mm-hmm. that he can answer the door and talk to Alva. Mm-hmm. And so he answers the door. He talks to... But right before he answers the door, he he stands up 
and he looks at his couch that's in his office and the cab driver and his wife are in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the cab driver's just like, women, am I right? Or something like that. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> and we're like, okay, so clearly everything is in Nick's head at, kind of at this point. Yeah. So, As if we already didn't think he was crazy. Yeah, I mean, we kind of <laughs> knew he was crazy, but I guess... It, we, he goes I, to therapy a lot. Yeah. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong no, with going no, to no, therapy, no, no. but the things he talks about in therapy are concerning. But also to this point, I was, I was about to ask you, like, do you think vampires actually exist in this movie universe? Because... Maybe they're invisible during the day, or maybe she turned, like, because Rachel can turn into a bat and fly in the window. Yeah, or or maybe they're only visible to their victims. Something along those lines. To their human lovers or whatever. We find out soon that that's not the case. But but so Alva brings in the contract, and she's like, I finally found it. And he goes, it's too late. It's too late. And he starts going, too late, too late, too late. (laughs) And he chases her. He starts chasing Alva down the stairs. They're down in like the basement by the loading docks or something. And Alva pulls out the gun. And he's just like, do it. I want you to shoot me. I want you to I want you to kill me. Just do it already. And so she starts kind of shooting the blanks of the ground. And he goes over to her. He he pushes her over. And he grabs the gun. He puts it in his mouth and shoots a couple of times. And he I guess he thinks that he's immortal. Because he's now a vampire, because the so, gun does the gun shoots but doesn't go off. Another thing they talk about is yeah. Nick had no respect or thought for gun safety. Yeah, I was about to say when we were watching, even the movie, though they are blanks, mm-hmm. it could still hurt you. Absolutely, and he just didn't care. No, he put it in his mouth and shot. Like it's a it's a gun with blanks in it. Yep. It's not a it's not a movie gun. Right. Yeah. Wasn't it? Uh, we might have, I don't know if we have to look this up, but it was like Bruce Lee's son or something like that. So, yeah, no, I'm sure someone have, people so, have been killed yeah, by but like, blanks before. But like a real Bruce Lee's son, Oh, I think. I mean, yeah, give it a yeah. quick Google. It, it was something like that. I think there was like a, a blank bullet misfired or something and it shot him and killed him. Somebody died that way. Somebody fairly famous. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he was uh, killed by a prop gun. Yeah, so it's really dangerous to put that in your mouth and pull the trigger, like, if it's not a special effect. Steve, Nick knows better than you. <laughs> Nick knows better than everyone. God damn, you're right. God damn, you're right. <laughs> what an asshole, though. Can you imagine if that happens after that? Because that was 93 oh, that he okay. was killed. Oh, okay, so it was a few so years later. before. Yeah, he might not have done it. Probably uh, if not. If it were a few years later. Because he would have been like, oh my god, someone actually died. Yeah, and it's someone pretty famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Where were we? So, yeah. So he realizes he lives after attempting suicide, or maybe before that. I don't really, really remember the order of the events. But he, well, so but he, he, but he thinks that it was a real, real bullets, gun. right? So he thinks that he's immortal, right? So, but he also, you know, again, Alva goes, "Please don't rape me," and he rips her shirt off, throws her on the ground, and I think she passes out. And he doesn't bite her neck, but he starts, like, kissing her neck. And he, like, rapes her. They don't show it, but he he definitely does. Like, the character does, because he talks about it later. But after he attempts the suicide, this is probably another iconic scream, because he goes... (laughs) It's a really funny uh, cry. Then... I love the emphasis he puts on the who. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) then because he feels he's immortal and he feels like he's finally become a vampire this is where it's at baby insert here As he's running down the street, brilliant, so good. So, uh, the scene, the first time they shot it, he was running too fast for the camera. Oh, okay. So he told the director, "Well, if you want me to run slow, I'm gonna run like this." Oh, he does and kind of he run. He runs funny. really stupid, mm-hmm. and that's the run that made the cut. Mm. So he got a lot of criticism from people saying that it was over the top. And he was like, over the top is one of these things that just doesn't work with me because I don't believe in such a thing. It's just stylistic choices. (laughs) Yeah, come on. This is a movie about a man who goes insane and believes he becomes a vampire. How can there be over the top? 
I don't know. He said that the director caught him in his experimental phase. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is absolutely true. So he just does whatever he wants. Oh, my God. Because he knows best. <laughs> I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. So he gets back to his apartment. He is, uh, he again tears it up for the second time and he starts breaking all the mirrors this time because he, he feels that he can't see himself in the mirror, even though we can see his reflection. Uh, then he starts eating his pillow for some reason. Mm, yummy. Yeah. The Better next, than a cockroach. Yeah, the next time we see him, he goes to a costume shop. He's walking down the street and he goes to a costume shop and he walks in to the counter and the guy's showing him these vampire teeth and he buys these kind of cheapo plastic vampire teeth you've seen at Halloween because that's all of the money he has. He puts on the teeth and crawls away. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty great. Ooh. Hmm. I got a, you got a scene coming up that oh, I have a story okay. for. Ooh, fantastic. So he then gets to a payphone and, and desperately calls his therapist. With the teeth in his mouth. With the teeth in his <laughs> mouth. And he's like, I need you to push up the meeting. She's like, well, I have you scheduled for Tuesday. And they reschedule it for first thing Monday morning. So when he calls the therapist, we don't just hear. We, we also see the therapist. They cut back and forth. And the therapist <laughs> is on the phone. And then this, like, hunky young man comes out in a towel. <laughs> with and a towel just, over just remember, like, no... No shade to Rachel Dratch, but like this woman is an old Rachel Dratch, like an old a poor man's old Rachel. Dratch. Yes, exactly. And then like this young hunky, maybe Hispanic man <laughs> walks up behind her, is like, "What's up, baby? Everything okay?" <laughs> and she's like, "It's just one of my patients. She's like forty years older than him. It's been it like, and it, it's another one of those things that never comes back up. It is hilarious. It's awesome. Apparently, there were a lot of uh, deleted scenes, which isn't." unusual for no that's true any movies but nick says that you know he's disappointed and oh okay in, that. in the final cut some maybe. of his best work was in some of those scenes wow. that were deleted oh could you I'd imagine love to know what he thinks his best work is could you imagine <laughs> so he's running down the street now or kind of crawling down the street and he finds a group of pigeons he grabs a pigeon puts it in his coat and walks home he walks home and we see the pans over. There's feathers all over the apartment and you hear him burping. So for 11 years, uh-huh. Nicolas Cage was riding on the high mm. of thinking that he, his superhero-like self, could catch a live pigeon and, and put it in his coat. And okay. then in 1999, when this commentary came out, oh, no. the director broke it to him that they drugged the pigeons oh, so no. that they were like easier sleepy to catch. and easier to catch. Oh. And Nick lost his mind in the, in oh. the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> so for 11 years, he was like going around bragging about it. Apparently like, oh, did you see Vampire's Kiss? You know, in that movie, how I, I catch pigeon. the pigeon. Yeah, that was a real pigeon. I just did it. Bare, bare hands. They that's, drugged the pigeons. Wow. That's very, what is it, Rocky 2 or Rocky 3 where he has to catch the chicken? Yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, that's hysterical, though. That's fantastic. <laughs> so he ate the pigeon, and Han just goes, I'm going to throw up because he's all bloody <laughs> and there's feathers everywhere and he's burping. And then he flips over his sofa, and so he turns it upside down and lays underneath it, so it's almost like he's opening up a, a, a coffin. coffin. And, and that's where he's been sleeping. And just remember, like, the state of his apartment is oh, just so disgusting. It's in shambles. Way more than, like, anybody had expected because he tore it apart way more than anybody would have wanted. Exactly. But, <laughs> but, yeah, so he then gets ready and he goes back out to the 80s bar from the beginning of the movie. And he goes up to the front door and he just punches the bouncer in the stomach and walks in. He just punches his he way into the bar. He thinks he's invincible at this point. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And as he's stalking through the bar, he's like stalking, going through the crowds. He's doing like a very Nosferatu thing where he's got his hand up by like his mm, face. Yes. And he's just walking. Like leading with his hand. Leading with his hand up by <laughs> his face. Yeah, exactly. So he's walking through the bar. And at this point, Hannah made me pause the movie because she was like, what are we watching? We're not watching this. What is happening in our lives right now that we're watching this? We had a very existential moment. Crisis, I think they call that. <laughs> it was a moment. I wouldn't call it a crisis. <laughs> so he's walking through the bar and he gets to a, an inexplicably empty back room. It is a crowded bar. And then he gets to this back room, which is a nice room. And there's one woman sitting on a couch back there. And he's got his fake teeth in. And he's, it's almost like he's kind of flirting with her. The girl's kind of laughing at it. And she's probably also yeah. coked up. She like, smi- he smiles and she sees his fake teeth and just thinks that he's like a goofball, yeah. I guess. And then he 
leans in to kiss her or whatever, and he goes for the neck, and he really bites her neck, and she bleeds out and dies. So, like, he really killed someone just there. And so... He he murdered somebody. (laughs) Yeah. So he kind of runs away into almost like a storage closet or something and runs into Rachel again. And Rachel's like, you're not a real vampire. Look at those teeth. You're pathetic. You're nothing. And then she goes, isn't that right, Donald? And some guy shows up behind her. And he's like, yeah, baby, right? Yeah, baby, let's go. It's again, it's like it's like a therapist, <laughs> just this random dude behind her. Like hot man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's kind of upset. And then the Rachel and Donald walk away. And he runs back out to the crowd. And he runs into Rachel. And he's like, hey, you know, you, I'm not done talking to you or something. And she's like, oh, Peter, right? And so now, I don't know if, I mean, we knew that she wasn't real, but... Right, but it clicked that they actually met, though. Right, yeah, but they actually met and, like, that this person exists in real life. That Yeah, and she was with this strange guy at the bar Donald. who was Donald. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he drops the C word again for some reason. Then, uh, let's see, he gets kicked out of the bar, and it's almost the morning at this point, so this bar must be open <laughs> all, all it's night. It's New York, baby, it's, it's New, New York. York. <laughs> yeah, you he mess with one of us, he mess with all of us. <laughs> so he screams at the sun then he's walking down the street and he's got a bloody mouth he's all disheveled his hair is hair's everywhere yeah he starts kicking a wooden pallet and he picks up like a a, like a large wooden stake basically a piece from the pallet and he starts screaming at people kill me kill me And I'm like, yeah, fucking kill me, so I don't have to watch the rest of this movie. <laughs> and he says something along the lines of, like, the torches of the damned. <laughs> and then this is another one of the iconic screams where he goes, oh. He's just moaning. Yeah. Dragging his stake with him. Yeah. So then he really dramatically bumps into a wall. And when he bumps into the wall, it triggers what he's seeing in his mind which is he's back at his therapist's office. He's still holding the stake in his hand, even though... But he's well-dressed. He's well-dressed. His hair slicked back. He's all clean. Yeah. (laughs) No blood. That's that's important, yeah. And so he's talking to the therapist, and he's like, you have to promise me you won't laugh. And he talks about how he can't find the right woman or something like that. And the therapist starts laughing, and he said, you wouldn't laugh. He's screaming out, you wouldn't laugh. And she's like, no, it's just funny because the person who always comes in after here... It comes in here after you is a perfect fit for you. Yeah, Sharon. she complains about the same thing. Yeah, she can't find the right man. You can't find the right woman. Here she is, and Sharon walks in. Yeah, and she's a pretty girl, and and so how do I want to put this? So he goes on the way out. He's like, "Well, thank you for for hooking me up with Sharon." But on the way out, he goes, "Uh, you know, oh, by, by the, the way, way <laughs> I I killed somebody last night." And she's like, oh, it's oh, fine. People die all the time. Don't oh, worry about it. Come on. Live the rest he's, of your lives. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, and I got to I gotta admit, I, I also raped somebody yesterday. Oh, it's fine. Man, people get raped all the time, Peter. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. And You're good. You're a great guy. You got Sharon now. Yeah. You'll spend a beautiful life together. And meanwhile, we're cutting back and forth between the Nick Cage vision that he's seeing and him just talking to this wall. It's awesome. When he's talking to the wall, it's hysterical. It is so good. Like, this is probably the That's best, his best performance. Scene. Yeah. Yeah, because he's playing this absolutely insane person right. with blood all over his face he's and on his shirt. He's lost his mind. Absolutely. So he is pretending to talk to Sharon as he walks down the street. He's like, my apartment's right over here. What? Didn't he win an Oscar for being drunk? Yeah. Yeah. He he delivers a pretty drunk, drugged out esque performance here. He's good at this. Yeah, he is. He's very good. Similarly in Racing Arizona, like we think he plays like a crazy Mm -hmm. con well. Mm -hmm. And this man just committed a crime and is now going it's Mad, true. and he he did a great job. And our favorite scene to date so far was the scene from uh, Racing with the Moon, and he was drunk in that. Drunk in that. There you go. That's his best. He's got a niche. So he should stick to it. So as he's walking down the street, he's talking to Sharon, who doesn't actually exist, and he mentions, "What does he say?" He says, uh, "Oh, I don't have it written down." But he goes, "Well, originally I'm from Philadelphia," and Hannah and I look at each We're other like, and go. Oh, <laughs> that's the voice. So he's stressing those A's. Because people from Philly talk. To, I get, not like that's New York. I gotta like, go home. I gotta, I gotta go, go home. home. Call my. I gotta pick up the phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Call my ma. 
She's got pneumonia. She's got pneumonia. Take my, take my daughter to gymnastics yeah. practice. <laughs> I gotta take my daughter to gymnastics class. <laughs> That's a Kate Flannery's bit. The Meredith from The Office. She loves saying that. But, but yeah, so meanwhile, as he's walking down the street, we see Alva and her brother who are pissed because her brother found out that that she was raped by her boss. So he's like, just let me know when she comes in, when he comes in. And they're sitting in their car. They're sitting in the car outside the place waiting for him. And so he is, he by the time he gets up to his apartment, he's screaming at Sharon, who doesn't exist, about how he's like, listen, I know I killed somebody, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's all in the past. And then he's like, what the fuck did I just say? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And he starts throwing more things around his apartment. And he's pissed off. And he off. has the steak he's with got, him still. Yep. <laughs> So he goes into his apartment as he's arguing with Sharon and he lays down in his coffin and he's got the wooden stake and he's kind of got the wooden stake resting on his stomach, like on his sternum. And Alva's brother comes in, breaks into the place to beat him up or something. And he realizes what a creep this guy is. And he's got this stake on his stomach and Alva's brother just pushes the stake into him and he dies. And that's where the movie ends. So Nick Cage struggled with how to perform the death scene. He mm. said it's one of the biggest moments for any film actor. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't want to die quietly. I was sick of quiet little deaths. Natural quiet deaths are such bullshit. You scream. Yeah, he, he sure did scream. He screamed. Yeah. So up to this point, though, he died in Cotton Club, and it was a quiet death because he got Tommy gunned. He didn't have time to scream. Yeah. Yeah. The last note I have is I wrote in all big letters... That was really something. That movie was something. That movie was... I don't know if it was good, if it was bad, if it was fun. It was like all of the above. So weird. Such a weird movie. I totally understand why it's a cult classic. Mesmerizing. Really? Yeah. Very mesmerizing. I agree with you. It's funny. Like, I don't know. We're like 12 movies into this now. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, Nick Cage's acting... It's horrendous. <laughs> yes. But he, it's unique. And I oh, understand yeah. why he was cast. In, well, I, I mean, he just takes whatever. Well, but yeah. I understand why he's been, especially early in his career, like mm. I kind of get why he was cast in some, some of these things because he's different. Like he's not really like anybody else at this time. Yeah. And different in Hollywood works. Yeah. Though he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I don't even know how we're going to do this distinction, but we have to give some Nick Cage awards. You know, I think I, I think we can handle it. All right. Well, let's. We handled watching this movie. I think we can handle doing this. All right. Let's start with the first one. Who do you think was the best supporting actor? It's hard to say. Alva Alva was really good. She was pretty good. I'm trying. Maybe I'll give it to the vampire. To Rachel. Yeah. She was kind of nothing. She was one note. They didn't get along on set. Surprise, surprise. Of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, you know who I'll give it to? Who's that? The taxi driver. Ah, oh, yes. The taxi <laughs> driver. You're absolutely right. Or the therapist. <laughs> yeah. The therapist. Uh, best dressed. It's got to be. I think it's the scene at near the end where he's got blood all over him. And I was going to say the exact crazy. same thing. He's wearing a suit. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. The worst scene. Worst to Nick Cage scene. There's a lot of throwaways. Do you want me to give you a few of the throwaways? I don't want to pick a throwaway for this. Um, okay. I want to pick something that just isn't cagey. Like mm. where he made a choice where it's like you're trying something that isn't on brand for you. Hmm. I was going to say like. Maybe one of the early therapy scenes where he's pretty normal. We need that development though. That character yeah. development. No, you're absolutely right. Maybe the art gallery. But again, that was he, kind of a throwaway and you don't want to pick a throwaway. I, I personally would pick a throwaway. Okay. All right. Because everything was very cagey in this movie. Yeah. Um. So let's just find the first throwaway scene. How about when he's in his apartment and he shakes out the curtain and doesn't find a bat and he doesn't even say anything. Done. Done. The best Nick Cage scene. This is tough. I don't know where to put it. Is it the ABCDEFG? Is it the I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire? No. Is it at the end when he's talking to the wall? Yes. Is it his death? Yeah, it's when he's talking to the wall. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. But it was well done. Was it cagey enough? Well, that's Nouveau Shamanic. Well, we can can save that for Nouveau Shamanic then. Okay. 
Let's see. Next scene. Okay. Well, let's do. Let's do. You know, a few options then. Because I mean, this movie, like, there's so much. There's a lot in it. There's a lot. So I think for best Nick Cage scene is both the one that we just discussed Mm -hmm. and also ABC. Okay. Well, all right. I like picking one though. Okay. Then talking to the wall. All right. I like it. I like it. I'm. I'm much more comfortable with that. The best scream. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. It's got to be. I know that there are some other great ones. There's there are the amazing screams. O. There's amazing screams in this. <sighs> but I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. Yes. Incredible. I, I, yeah. Execution it- wise. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the most nouveau shamanic moment. Do we give that to the ABCD? No. What are you thinking? Eating a cockroach. Eating the cockroach. You're right. I forgot about that for a moment. You're right. Wow. We did it. We came up we with it. We fucking did it. Wow. All right. So, where are you ranking this movie? Number one. Number baby. one. Absolutely. Number one. It bumps everything down, but this is the this most This is going to stay number one for a while. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, the other number ones that we've had, who stayed number one longer? I think Best of Times was number one for the longest so far. Mm-hmm. Then, it, But then it was Raising, Raising Arizona. Racing with the Moon. Or Racing, Racing with the Moon, I mean. Yeah. That was up there for a while as well. So we'll see. We'll see what knocks this one off its peg. You kidding me? What like it was? It's the cagiest thing you'll ever see. Well, where's where's something like a national treasure gonna fall? Hard to say. I don't know. It's either. a different time in his life. That's true. Hmm. Yeah, we're gonna have to do some type of bracket. Oh, absolutely. Because well. like early, like I mean, thinking about that early cage is very different than you know present day cage Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah no the way i figured that so we mentioned this on a previous episode but when it comes to next march yeah we'll do a march madness we'll do a march madness bracket and madness uh, emphasis on the madness absolutely (laughs) (laughs) a march shamanic (laughs) shamanness yeah so uh we'll do that in march so i guess we'll do rank we'll do rankings but we can't just do the movies because we rank the movie at the end we'll do genre or not genre era no, no, no. But what I mean is like, so when we put two movies together, we're not going to rank which one's better because we've, we're already doing that in real time. So we'll have to take the best scene from each yeah. movie or something and then rank those or the best scream from each movie and yeah. rank those. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That'll be good. So, uh, ne- what? oh, I forgot to look it up. You have your computer there. What are we watching next week? I think it might be the one that he's like an unnamed character. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought there was one before that, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it was, um, he's like man in red sports car uncredited or something. So that might be I don't, we'll we'll probably watch it because we watched Best of Times. We watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So uh, we'll watch that one anyway, and it'll just be a short episode. It is. Never on Tuesday, man in red sports car uncredited. Okay. Never on Tuesday is going to be next week. And that will about wrap it up for this week. Thank you guys for listening to what is most likely our longest episode so far. Hopefully you weren't, uh, hopefully you were entertained. I would like to say it was worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think previous previous to this birdie was a long one, but that was another weird one. After Nick Cage, you know, he knows everything. He knows what's right. Um, he has the best <laughs> opinions. It, it's very, very close on that scale. It's, it's than me. Uh, oh, I know, oh, I see. I know best. Oh, I see. So in the world of knowledge, Nick yeah, Cage yeah, yeah. knows the most, uh-huh. but Hannah Martin knows the second most. Yeah, of course. But yes. it's very close. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it's nominal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah. And now you know why the Nick Cage bird sing. Thanks for listening, guys. Happy Halloween. Take Happy care. Happy Halloween. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. <laughs> <laughs>